Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. So do you remember the promise that we talked about a long time ago, back in August, kind of kicked this series off, this promise to Adam and Eve that this serpent that deceived them and it kind of ruined God's creation, this would not be the end of the story. And then a promise many generations later to this guy named Abraham. You guys remember this? And Abraham didn't know who this God was. He's just doing his thing. And, and God comes down and reveals himself to Abraham. And here's what he says, Abraham Something's going to happen. I'm going to do something. I have a plan, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to fix this world, this broken world. And here's the deal, Abraham. You're going to have a son, and out of this son will come a nation, and out of this nation will come a rescuer, someone that will fix this humanity that has been lost. And we jumped on this story and we've been on this story, the whole Old Testament, this, this whole semester on the Old Testament, the story of what God has been doing since creation up until where we're going to find ourselves today. And here's one of the things I want to do this morning is invite us in once again to the story. Because here's the deal. The Bible is not a book written to you of some little love letter from Jesus to you. Sorry. The Bible's a story. And it's God's story. And our goal this morning is that we be pointed to the story and we would see the big picture of what God is doing in creation. One of the things I love about Scott and the band and the music team, the choir this morning, is each week they continually point us back to the story of what God is doing. Like here at Hill City, I'll just lay out our cards. We don't really care about being cool. I mean, I'm, I'm cool enough as it is. I don't need any help, but we don't, like, we don't try to be cool. Like We don't have flashing lights and strobe lights and fog machines. We don't do all that stuff. Not saying it's bad, it's not us. Why? We, every week we want to be pointed to the story, to God's story. We want to reorient our lives every week around what God is doing. As we follow God's story, we'll start with Abraham and this promise, and we, we see that Abraham had some sons, and out of these sons came a group of people, a family. And over hundreds of years, this family grew into a nation. This nation was in captivity in Egypt. God brings them out. They, they, they have a land, they start to grow into a kingdom. We saw under King David that David restore, you know, brings them in together as this great kingdom. And that was kind of their high point in the story. And then it all goes downhill from there. And if you love world history like I do, Assyria comes in and kind of smashes most of them. There's a little faithful tribe called Judah. And so you have this other kingdom that's in the south. And, and, and after a while, this other nation called Babylon comes and conquers them and carries them off to Babylon. And that's where we were last week. God's chosen people, remember the goal, to bring the Messiah, are now in captivity in Babylon. They will remain there 70 years. And so if you, if you look on your chronological Bible, this is the chronological story of the Bible, how it lays. So this week, you'll see the 70 years exile. That's where we've been. Israel's been in exile for 70 years. And the top books there are the different prophets that were right to the people during this time frame. So the, the, the ones in the middle are the time frame books. The top ones are the prophets that are right to them. And so while in captivity, Daniel and Ezekiel were writing to them, promising that God would deliver them, challenging them to be faithful. 
And now where we pick up is they have been in exile for 70 years, and they've been waiting on God. Now, we sang a song uh, two songs ago when we first got in here. It's my favorite Christmas song, which I don't have very many favorite Christmas songs. But it's my favorite one because it's in a minor key and it's really dark and it just makes me really cheery in Christmas season. Um, and it's that, it's that song that we sing, O Come Emmanuel. Will you pull up the first lyric? Here's what it says. O come, O come Emmanuel and ransom captive Israel. Israel's captive right now. They're in Babylon, and generation after generation in Babylon, all these, pe- these people have been crying out, God, come deliver us. And it says, ransom captive Israel who mourns in lowly exile. Our chosen people, God's chosen people, are lowly slaves in exile in Babylon. And they're waiting on God, the Son of God, to appear and come deliver them. And that's where we find ourselves in the story. And so while they're in Babylon, after 70 years, Persia rises up as a world power, conquers Babylon, and now Persia's in charge. And so the king of Persia, who's named Cyrus, allows some of these different nations that were in captivity to go back to their homeland and start to rebuild their homeland underneath this rule of Persia. And so the Jews are one of these nations. And so the king tells some of the Jews, listen, I will allow you, make sure you remember this, I will allow you to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild. You will establish a Jewish state there. However, don't forget, we're still in charge. And so you have this group of people now who are leaving Babylon, going back to Jerusalem. Now here's something to note. Most of the people going back have never seen Jerusalem. They were born in captivity. And so you can imagine sitting around the campfire as a kid in Babylon, hearing stories of how marvelous Jerusalem was, how the city was booming, how the walls were beautiful, how this temple that Solomon built was full of gold. It was just beautiful. And then if you're one of those people, you're walking back and you come up over the hill and you see Jerusalem, and it's desolate. There's not wall, there are not walls. There's not a beautiful temple. It's been vacant except for some local inhabitants have been kind of shacking up there for 70 years. And we see God bringing his people back to the promised land, back to Jerusalem. Now we can't overlook this because if you're a Jew living this time, going back to Jerusalem, here's what you're thinking. Now's the time. We've been hearing about this promise that God is going to save us. He's leading us back. We're going back to Jerusalem. And now this expectation is starting to grow. If you are a faithful Jew, which remember, the Jews as a nation are rebellious. There's a faithful few. If you're one of those faithful few, joy and gladness and expectation are starting to develop. There's this talk that maybe the time has come when God will act. And so today as we look at this story, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, those are the historical books. I encourage you to read them. They talk about this group of people returning from exile to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. That's what those books cover. That's the historical storyline. Now, we're not going to focus on those days. Here's what we need to know is we have a group of people leaving Babylon, going to rebuild Jerusalem. What we're going to look at 
are the top books, specifically Zechariah and then a little bit of Malachi. And what we're going to see is what is God telling this group of people as they're coming back? What is the message that God wants them to know? That's our goal today. It's been, uh, Brad and I were talking this week, this series has been awesome and fun but exhausting because I'm trying to take five books of the Bible and put them into a 40-minute sermon. So three hours later, we may be there. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 1. So these books, this book of Zechariah, he's a prophet, he's writing to these people who are rebuilding this city, these exiles that have returned to Jerusalem, and he instructs them to rebuild the temple that was destroyed when Babylon conquered them. And so this book of Zechariah, if you want to read this, here's what you have to know. It's a crazy book because it's full of Zechariah's dreams. How many of your dreams make no sense? Either to Zechariah's. <laughs> and he writes them down. And they're a crazy collection of dreams that's kind of forecasting what God's going to do. And then there are a bunch of poems and a bunch of prophecies. They're all kind of mixed together. They don't follow this nice little linear story in the beginning and then go to the end. They're all mixed together. I'll try to help us make sense of this. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 12. Let's see what God is saying to these people, these Jews coming back from Babylon. Verse 12. The angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, against which you have been angry these 70 years? So this angel asks this question of God. God, how long will you stay angry at, 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 at Judah, at Israel? Like it's obvious, God, you've kind of let them be captive. How long will you do that? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. This is Zechariah saying this. Verse 14. So the angel talked with me and said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, because I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. He's talking swiftly about Assyria. Babylon, Persia, and these nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built, that's a temple, declares the Lord of hosts. And the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. That kind of talks about Jerusalem being rebuilt. A measuring line is this idea of measuring out and rebuilding. So verse 17, cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts. My cities so again, overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. And so this question this angel asks is, God, how much longer will the Jews have to suffer? And God says, you know what? It's time for me to act. I love Judah. I've chosen them. I've chosen this group, this nation called Israel. They, they'll rebuild the temple. They'll rebuild the walls. God is ready to restore Jerusalem. That's what the angel says. Here's what he says to Israel. Israel, fear not. I've chosen you. And I will be faithful to you. Now again, if you're that faithful group of Jews, you've been waiting for words like this. And when you hear things like, I, will, I have returned to Jerusalem. My house shall be built there. My cities, again, shall overflow with prosperity. If you hear that, what are you thinking? 
okay, now is the time. We are getting ready as a nation to come back to Jerusalem. We're going to build this thing up, and we are going to be on top. Forget Assyria. Forget Babylon. Forget Persia. Israel. Here we go again. That's what they're thinking. They thought, they believed that God would send a rescuer, this new David, this soldier. Think Mel Gibson Braveheart. And he would come back. And he would come to Jerusalem and he would kick butt and take names and he would restore Israel to the way it was under King David. Like if you're a Jew right now, a faithful Jew, here's what you're thinking. Hey, this is kingdom talk here. Like this is back to the good old day talk. Where we'll conquer our enemies. God's blessing will come and he will bring his kingdom. Okay, pause. When you read the New Testament, do you see why the Jewish leaders were furious anytime Jesus mentioned being the Messiah? Because Jesus was everything but Mel Gibson Braveheart. Like they were expecting a king, they were waiting on this Messiah, but for them, this Messiah would be military and political. And he would set up this new Jerusalem, kill all their enemies. Israel would reign. So when Jesus comes in and says, blessed are the poor, they're like, no, uh uh-uh, you're not the Messiah. That's why the Jewish leaders got so angry with him. Okay, flip over to Zechariah chapter 7. So God's writing his people. He's told them that his mercy will return to Israel, to Jerusalem. He'll rebuild it. And now he has a word for these people. And this is where Zechariah is not always following a linear path. We're going to look back a little bit. Verse 8, and the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Now verse 11, but they refuse to pay attention. Now pause, who's the they here? That they are the previous generations of Israel. God is letting the people now know why he allowed them to go into captivity in the first place. He's calling out the future generations. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord's of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. And God says, as I called, they would not hear. So when they called, I would not hear. So God tells these Jews coming back, remember. Remember why you're coming back from Babylon in the first place. Because your forefathers, I gave them these same promises, but they kept rebelling. Remember, we are a hundred years, one generation away from the Israelite leaders sacrificing babies in a temple. Like it got really sick and twisted. And God's looking back and he's saying, look, look back. And if you want me to bless you like you're asking for, you need to show kindness and mercy and not oppress widows and the fatherless, like take care of orphans. When sojourners and poor come in, he's like, if you want me to do what you're asking, then you need to not be 
like your fathers, your, your fathers before you, the generations before. It comes back to that question when, when they cry out and say, God, how long till you'll come? God flips it around on them, and here's what God says. When are you going to be the type of people that are ready for me to come? When are you going to be the type of people that take care of the orphans and love the widows and treat foreigners, aliens with love and respect? And you want me to do this? Well, so did your generations before, but guess what? When I told them what to do, they didn't listen. So God said, you know what? They got what they wanted, a world apart from me, Babylon. So through Zechariah, God promises this generation of people that the Messiah would come, the rescue would come only if the people would remain faithful. Now go to Zechariah verse, or chapter 8, verse 12. He's going to keep going about this type of people that God is looking for. For there shall be a sowing of peace. Now stop, if you're, a, if you're an Israelite right here, peace would be a welcomed word. They haven't been in peace since Solomon reigned. All they've known is war and devastation and being in exile. Zechariah's writing about what's going to come. There shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit and the ground shall give its produce and the heavens shall give their due. This is this talk of like this flourishing nation. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all things. Again, are you listening to this as a Jew that's been in exile coming back? Possess all things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you and you shall be a blessing. So as he said, listen, the nations have kind of been making fun of you. That, oh, you're this chosen people and you can't even take care of yourself. Like you keep ending up in Babylon and you keep getting conquered. He says, listen, you're not going to be a cursing among the nations. You're going to be a blessing to the nations. God is going to flip the script. So he says, fear not, but let your hands be strong. Their hands are rebuilding Jerusalem right now. Don't fear God is with you. Be the type of people inside that are ready for to come. Keep building. Keep going. Something's going to happen. God is going to show up. Verse 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, as I have purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent. Pause. Did Babylon conquer Israel? Or did God? As I have purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me into wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord, so again, I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. He says it again. Fear not. These are the things you should do. Here's the type of people I want. Speak truth to one another. Render in your, render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. So God tells them, look, the generation 40, they messed up. So I purposed that they would go off into exile. Listen, I'm bringing you back. Stay faithful. Work hard. Rebuild. Become the type of people 
that the Messiah is ready, that, that is ready to receive the Messiah, and I will rebuild Jerusalem. I will give her her glory back. All the nations will come, and you will be a beacon of hope and light to the world. You'll be a, you'll be a, a, a blessing to all the nations. Fear not. But again, all these Israelites are doing is thinking of right now. And they're picturing beautiful walls and beautiful temples and a beautiful king on this beautiful throne. All these nations coming and saying, oh, Jerusalem, you guys are the best. Israel, you guys are the best. Help. That, that's what they're picturing. And they're missing it. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, he's continuing to try to show them what God's doing, what the kingdom is going to look like. And here's what he says, rejoice, O daughter of Zion, like have joy, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt. The foal of a donkey. Now, at this point, the Israelites got to be saying, okay, Zechariah, are you sure you heard that donkey part right? I know, I know you said like on a donkey and a little colt of a donkey, but surely you meant like this big black horse with swords and face paint and a kilt. Surely, because they're thinking kingdom. They're thinking now, earth, military, might, power, war. But as Zechariah tells them more about what this king will look like, he'll say, he'll be humble and mounted on a donkey. Now pause. Does that remind you of anything? So as I've been going through this book and these New Testament and or Old Testament, hopefully for you, the New Testament is like coming alive. Because I always wondered, I was in college, started learning about the Bible the first time ever. And I read the story of Jesus coming in to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, riding a donkey. And I was like, really, a donkey? Like, why not just walk? I mean, come on, if it's between a little donkey and a, I'm walking, I'm just telling you. Now give me a cool horse, I'll come in. Do you see why Jesus entered in a donkey? What's he saying? Hey, Jerusalem, your king is here. Because it's prophesied in Zechariah that that's what the Messiah would do. He would come into Jerusalem riding a donkey. Chapter 13, verse 1, he gives us one more idea of this rescuer, this Messiah. On that day, there should be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Now, if they just would have caught this part, because right now their minds are on the world, what they can see, kingdoms and military and political. If they'd have just caught this part, here's what they would have started to see, that this Messiah was not necessarily going to set up this earthly kingdom centered around Jerusalem and the Jews would rule forever and ever. That really wasn't the point, that this Savior would come and there would be a fountain opened 
And this point of this Savior coming was not Jerusalem. It was to cleanse the people from sin and uncleanness. Now the question, can you think of a fountain that was opened with the promise that it would cover sin? It's called Jesus and his blood. That would be the fountain open. See, here's what Zechariah is trying to get them to understand, or God through Zechariah. They don't need a new David in the sense of this military leader. They don't need a new king political leader. They don't need a new temple. They don't need all, like, all these things are just shadows of what to come, that the biggest need, the deepest need that they have is someone that would come and fix their brokenness. Because if there's one thing we see over and over and over with, with, with Israel is whatever God does, it only lasts for a certain amount of time. The people rebel. They just rebel. Why? Their hearts are wicked. Their hearts are broken. And so this Messiah that's been promised is not going to come to build a physical t- kingdom. He's going to come to heal their hearts. And so when Jesus comes, the reason he dies and bleeds is to be a sacrifice to cleanse for sin. Because no other earthly thing is going to do with Israel. Like at any point in their story, do we, are we ever compelled to say, man, if they just had one more king, if they just had one more temple, if they just had this, then they would finally get it. No. No matter what God does, they rebel. They don't need something else here. Hill City, hear me. Getting back to church won't fix you. It's just a, like this building. Like this, I've told you before, this is a hotel. No telling what's happened in this room before. I mean, it's dances. I mean, the walls could talk here, right? It's just building. It's just, this won't fix you. Listen, we try to get, we encourage you to get into Hill City groups, city groups. Listen, city groups great, but it won't fix you. It's not the point. Some of you like to learn and study and read theology. Awesome. Keep doing that, but it's not the point. The point is to point you to Jesus who will come and cleanse your heart. Like that's your deepest need. You don't need a better something here. You need something deeper to fix your brokenness. Because if we're all honest for a little bit, we all have it. And so Zechariah and then Malachi, we're going to look at Malachi, one little place here. It's the last book of the Bible. Malachi is trying to show us that there's been a physical transformation of Jerusalem. Like it's getting rebuilt, but it needs a spiritual transformation. And the people are missing it. In Malachi chapter 4, this is the last book and the last chapter of the Old Testament. The last word God has to this nation of Israel before the New Testament is going to happen, before Jesus is going to come. Here's the last words of your Old Testament. For behold, the day is coming, and it's burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will stumble. They that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch, But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise 
with healing in his wings. And you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, just like super excited. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your, of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So here's in this last chapter of the Old Testament, the last words from God to Israel. Here's what he tells them. The son of righteousness, my promised person, he is coming. And when he comes, there will be healing in his wings. Now let me pause right here. Because we have another great New Testament story that I think is going to all of a sudden be like, oh. So in Luke chapter 8, I believe, Jesus is walking through the crowd. And he's on the way to go heal a child. And the crowd's really busy. And there's people all around him. He's walking through. And all of a sudden he stops and he's like, wait, someone touched me. Like this Jedi moment, right? My power went out of me. You guys remember this story? And he stops, and the disciples are like, well, yeah, someone touched you. Like, people are everywhere here. Everyone's touching. Like, they're all reaching. He's like, no, someone touched me. And what we fear is there's a story, in the story, there's this woman, this elderly woman who the Bible says she has an issue with blood. She just keeps bleeding. So she's an outcast of society. She comes through the crowd, crawls through the crowd, and she comes, and what does she do? Do you remember? She touches the edge of Jesus' garment. And Jesus stops right when she touches and says, wait a second, some power went out of me. Now, I read that and I was like, that's just kind of weird. For the Jews, the Jewish rabbis would have a cloak on them. And this cloak would have tassels that come down that were called the wings. And so Zechariah promises that one day the Savior will come and there will be healing in his wings. And then we fast forward and look to this little lady. He's on the ground and she's crawling up to Jesus. She comes and she touches the edge of his garment. She touches the wings. What's she saying? You're the Messiah. You can heal me. And Jesus stops and he's like, okay, something just happened here. So this son of righteousness will come with healing in his wings. Verse 4. Malachi, Malachi says, remember the law of my servant Moses. Remember the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. So this is cool how God does this. He points to the future of what's going to come. And then he says, okay, stop. Let's pause. Let's remember. Let's look back. And he says, Remember the law of my servant Moses. Now, if you've been with us through this series, God is constantly pointing Israel back to their gospel, their good news. You remember what their good news is? When they were slaves in Egypt and God delivered them out of Egypt and gave them his law and made a covenant with him. And so here's what God is doing. We're going to look forward, but then pause and let's look back and let's remember the gospel of Israel, the good news of Israel, that while you were slaves in Egypt, I brought you out and I made a covenant with you. Israel, remember, the reason every Sunday that Scott gets up to you and he says, hey, today we're going to rehearse the gospel or, 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 or uh, practice this gospel as we sing and as we go through the service. Why? We want to point us back and remember the good news that while we were exiles in our sin, God came to us and delivered us out by no effort of our own and saved us. And that's exactly what God's telling them. Look, we're going to look forward. We're going to look back and we're going to remember that I've been faithful. Verse 5. The la <clears throat> excuse me. The last words of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before. Now, that's kind of weird. 
So Elijah was one of these prophets. that was out, kind of a crazy dude, speaking to the people. Here's what he says. I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet, or I'm going to send you a person, a messenger that's just like Elijah. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. So this is interesting. So here's what he says. Messiah's going to come with healing in his wings. But right before he comes, I will send a messenger. And I will send that messenger to tell you that the Messiah is on its way. Now again, let's fast forward to the New Testament. I always wondered... The gospel writer starts with this crazy dude named John the Baptist. Do you see why? He's the messenger that was coming to announce that the kingdom was here. So if you're a faithful Jew, you have the story of your people, you have God speaking through these prophets, telling them, and you can imagine this anticipation's building, like he's telling us his favor is on us. Let's go back to Jerusalem. And he's telling us, now that we're in Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls. He's telling us more about the type of people we're going to be. He's telling us that all these nations are going to come. He's telling us that the Son of God's going to come with healing in his wings. And there's going to be this messenger right before in this anticipation. It's building and building and building. And then, Silence. 400 years, God is silent. No new messages, no new prophets. This is it. That's the hope they're hanging on. This expectation has been growing and growing and growing, and God says, not yet. 400 years. And let's put this in perspective. Like, that's a 400 years. That's 100 years longer than America. Than America even, I mean, this, we weren't even around that long ago. Think how much has changed in our history of this country. 400 years, God is silent. You guys like go concerts? Anyone concert fans here? Yeah, I, I love concerts. And one of, one of the cool parts about a concert is you get your ticket, you go into the, the, the arena. And, and you walk in, and the, you've got some music playing, and the lights are down low. You've got the fog machines, and you know, the hazers have been going, so you can kind of see the lights. And there's this, and as the show starts to get closer and closer, then more people start to feed in and feed in. What generally happens is that the level of the crowd just starts to slowly grow. There's this, like, anticipation, right? And, and as, it's, as the show's going to start at 8, you know, you're 755, 756, 758, and it's like, it's like the, the anticipation just grows and grows, and some people like sometimes start like you know stomping their feet or clapping, and like this murmuring gets louder and louder. Um, one of my my brother and sister in law went to see Madonna in concert last year, and they got there eight o'clock show, same thing. Um, she didn't come out till ten thirty. I guess at Madonna she comes out when she wants to, and you just gotta wait. And so they waited, and everyone else waited. You know what I mean? That moment, though, right before, like the anticipation's there, the murmuring's there, it's your favorite artist, you've been waiting your whole life to see him, and then all of a sudden, like, the house lights go out, right? It's like, oh, here it is. Well, here's what happens for Israel. This anticipation grows and grows, and it just kind of hangs. And the Jews are left in waiting 
Now, over the next 400 years, some things will change. Persia will be conquered by a guy named Alexander the Great. Anyone ever heard of him? And then he'll be conquered by a country called Rome. So things will happen in the world scene over the next 400 years. But the Old Testament ends without God's final promise to Abraham being fulfilled. And the Jews are left to be faithful and trust and wait on God. Now the question, why? Why 400 years? Here's my answer. I don't know. God doesn't tell us. But somehow in God's wisdom, he knew that the time was not yet right. Now I could give some ideas, but we're not going there. But the time was not left right, and they were left waiting. Now, when we look at a sermon like this, when we look at scripture like Zechariah, Malachi, and some of these, one of the things we have to be careful about as, as contemporary readers here is looking at all these promises to Abraham and, or to Jerusalem and to Israel and saying, oh, that's a great verse. I'm going to put that in a coffee cup, and that's, that's all about me. Listen, these books aren't about you. Sorry. They're about God and his story. And so we have to be careful of these books. We can't pull out a verse and say, oh, that's going to be my life verse. God is going to do. No, we can't do that. This is written to a specific group of people for a specific time for a specific purpose. And so then you've got to say, okay, well, what's this have to do with me? Well, here's what I, I've been thinking about this question. Thanks for asking. Um, here's what I think it has to do with us. Or here's maybe where we find ourselves in the story. I asked this to our staff in the office this week. Out of all the stories we've looked at of Israel from the Old Testament, like, is it fair they've been up and down, like extreme highs and really bad lows? And sometimes, especially if we just look at one little section of the story, maybe they're taken off to Babylon, we can think like, God, I don't know. Like, you say you love them, you say you have a plan for them, but boy, it doesn't look like it right now. Is that fair? But here's a question. If we step back, we have this story laid out in front of us. And I ask you one question. As you look at the story of Israel, would you conclude that God is for Israel or against Israel? He's for them. I mean, the only, the only way they've got here back to Jerusalem is by the grace and mercy of God. I mean, world history, look at all the nations that have come and had high points and then you don't even, you've never even heard of them before because they don't exist. Like God has sustained them because God is for them. He's for their good. And the story's not about you, it's about God. But I hope this morning we can find some hope in the story. And I hope just like as we look at Israel, you can look at yourself and say, is God for me or against me? And you might come to the conclusion based on this whole story and what we'll see next week that in fact God is for you. And just like Israel, when they're pointed to look back at the promises of this faithful God for the purpose of then remaining faithful, may you and I look back at the promises of God because we know where this is going. If you've been in church for there's 400 years, but you know it's about the silence is about to be broken. 
And we see that God's faithful. And so we as people now in this story, may we look back and see this faithful God. And then may we look forward in our lives and say, because he's been faithful in the past and I believe he is for me, he's for my good, I will trust him and I will be faithful now. So I asked this question in Hill City this morning, can you trust in God's faithfulness? Well, what's that mean? Let me give you some examples. Your salvation can you trust that God secured a way for you to be saved through Jesus and it's not some religious achievement you have to accomplish? Can you trust that? Can you trust that he who has been faithful to Israel will be faithful in your life? You don't have to come to church and be a nice person and do all these religious things to get to him. That's, that's wrong. Can you trust that he sent Jesus as that rescuer to redeem you and now ask you to live in response to that? The same way he asked Israel to live in response to that. We sang that song, look to Jesus. Can you look to Jesus who accomplished us your salvation and finally rest? Can you trust him? How about this? In our fight with sin and brokenness, because you're here this morning, surprise, we're all broken. We all have it. We all have that sin and brokenness. In your fight against that, can you trust that God's faithful? Can you trust that the commandments he gives to you, that sometimes they're even against what you want to do at this moment, and that in the words of the Bible kind of speak against this thing you keep going to and keep going to, can you trust that these commandments are for your good, and can you start to walk in freedom out of this trust? Any doubters in the room? Can you trust that even in your doubts, God is faithful? And can you trust that even though Jesus come, there's this promise that's yet fulfilled. I don't know if you know that. We'll see it next week. There's one more promise, and it's going to be good. And it doesn't have to do with us floating up in the clouds, by the way. It has to do with Jesus coming back and restoring a broken world. That's next week. Can you trust him?